to all of a sudden be able to grow broccoli in Virginia or North Carolina or Louisiana or Kentucky or Illinois is all of a sudden starts to make sense because you can say you, you can take that and put that back to your farm. And on top of that, you're going to get a premium. They're going to pay a X more for you than they were paying for getting this box that's, uh, that's three days old and that has no um, identity with a local farmer, you know, and, you know, and they're going to want it from you now because the supply chain and the supply chain worries. And so buyers are going to start looking for who can I support? Welcome back for part two of a conversation between INCAT Sustainable Agriculture Specialist Mike Lewis and Michael O'Gorman, an organic farming pioneer and founder of the Farmer Veteran Coalition. In this episode of Voices from the Field, Mike and Michael talk about mitigating risk in tomato crops in particular and agriculture operations in general. Michael also describes why he thinks the current energy situation may help new, locally-oriented farmers get into the business. And if you missed the first part of the discussion, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast. Let's listen. I have another question for you. I, you know, one of the things that we do on our farm, uh, and, th- and this relates directly to me, so I'm, I'm hoping that other people find it helpful as well as I glean advice from you. Um, but we're always testing out new crops and trying to find, you know, new potential markets uh, and new potential customers. We do that on a pretty small scale. And then sort of, like you said, we're tracking the records to see how much it's actually costing us to produce it. So if we did scale up. And recently, we just got a new tomato contract. And thanks to your advice from years ago, it's not uh, one tomato, it's six tomatoes in that uh, product line. And we've got the planting all down. But my question is, how do I adjust for for loss, right? I mean, I, I can look at my thing and say, okay, I need a 100-foot row every 25 days. But how do you go about factoring in loss? I don't know. Uh, where you are, what you have for predators, but you know, I've got uh, tomato predators, but I've got <laughs> a few around here uh-huh. and there's inevitably some loss. So how do you go about factoring in how much extra to plant to mitigate that potential loss so that you can still maintain the. You know, or, or earlier I talked about this, this big um, sucking sound that happened after uh, World War II, where so much of local vegetable production moved to California. And the reason, because they didn't have rain on the plant while it was growing. There's nothing more critical than that than tomatoes. You know, the demand for a local tomato, the demand for a good flavorful tomato and one that's picked, you know, fully ripe or close to ripe and um, not necessarily bred for shipping is so high, you know, that it's a fantastic time to be, to, you know, to grow those crops and tomatoes, you know, they love, you know, warm nights. So, you know, the, the, the weather in Kentucky is fantastic. It's going to grow a tomato fast, but you're also going to have that problems with uh, early blight as you get the warmth and the humidity. And I think that historically, you know, I think you may not, you may not have the same length of harvest that you would if you didn't have that pressure. So I think, you know, like you said, 25 days or something is probably a pretty good time to repeat your plantings where you are just because just, you know, in in case, you know, because, you know, it's not, it's not really a 
question of whether you're going to get early blight in um, Kentucky. It's a question of how soon <laughs> and how fast. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that was my experience, you know, and that and that, you know, and so you but you can hold it off. You can mitigate and hold it off and do do what you can to get a, a good crop out of there. You know, on the market side, the important thing, you know, so you do have you do have to face the reality of potential loss. And but your buyers are smart and they and and they, and they know that, you know, so the main thing. So on the other hand is work with your buyers. If you if you are facing loss, don't wait till the day they're waiting for a shipment to tell them, <laughs> you know, that let them know as fast as you know, this first round is, is getting hurt. And, you know, we're, we're going to come on with this next the the next plantings looking better and and uh, you know they're going to hang in with you as long as you communicate with them you know they want your tomatoes you know they want they want Kentucky you know strong flavor squirting juice out on the plate tomatoes you know so so I th- I think that's a, a fantastic thing but you know try try to give them a little bit of airflow maybe you don't have to prune them or expect them to have a long life where you're like pruning the one or two liters or something, but you might want to do a little pruning low on the tomato to get some airflow and to help hold off that blight. And the other most important thing for blight probably is, uh, you know, be careful when you pick and and handle your tomatoes and stake and tie them. And, you know, do don't, just don't touch the tomatoes when they're wet from the morning dew or from the rain, you know, and let, let them dry out, you know, and hopefully... Hopefully you got water like drip irrigation and don't have to do any overhead water. So, so you can make that last, you know, the other thing I always tell people, you want to extend that season. A lot of people focus on their high tunnels to get an early crop and and jump in with uh, tomatoes, but really, you know, you know, anything you do and and you can do some, um, you know, mini tunnels and different things. You make your first transplant, your largest, take your six pack tomatoes and grow them out in a four by four and get a nice eight week plant out. And that's, you know, you know, you get a good jump on your first tomatoes, but I would use a, a high tunnel for your later tomatoes because, you know, going into the heat, you got heat there. You not only got a humidity, but you got hot summers. And so if you're trying to stake a tomato and they're in a high tunnel, it's going to get hot. The higher the tomato is on the plant, it's going to get softer. It's going to, not like that heat in there but if you can get enough heat going into the fall you know plant your tomatoes and you know uh, your last planting in in late july or first of august you know plant that in a high tunnel you know mid-september october october it's growing you're harvesting tomatoes in a high tunnel you may be able to keep those tomatoes going um you know, to Thanksgiving and and even beyond. And that's when money's made in a tomato crop is uh, when you can have them when no one else does and make some good money at the end of the year. So there's a lot of ways to extend that season and to to, uh, keep yourself in and take advantage of the demand for it. It's, you know, tomatoes are like, they're the iconic crop of a vegetable farmer. You know, my middle names, you know, I asked my brother one time, about a password and everything. Oh, we both the tomatoes are both involved in our, I guess, in our identity in our DNA at this point. No, that's great. And we did uh, actually, for reference, we managed to have tomatoes through Christmas in a high tunnel. And I, I wish I'd have done five times as many because I would have made some money. Yeah, and uh, Rooster agrees on that. He said, "Man, 
<laughs> he's, my, my wife captured him last night. He's grumpy. Um, he's in a tiny cage now, so I didn't realize he was right behind my head. I apologize, everyone. Well, it sounds like to me that we're going to have to catch up and do this again just on tomatoes because I wasn't taking notes as fast as you were talking, but uh, sounds like we might have to catch up again real soon and talk about tomatoes. Don't have time to stay up to date on the freshest sustainable agriculture news, events, and funding opportunities? You can trust NCAT to keep you connected with our weekly harvest e-newsletter. Subscribe today at NCAT.org and get your weekly harvest delivered each Wednesday. But I think if I look at it, we're probably coming close to the end of our time, Michael, but I do want to give you a chance to add anything, say anything, tell us a story, whatever you'd like. Awesome. Well, I would reiterate in my lifetime, I've seen two, you know, if you were a surfer, you, you know, you would call them, you know, that there's every few years there or a couple of times in your lifetime, there's like perfect waves are coming, you know, and this is a perfect wave for a new farmer. And, uh, you know, I, I rode the wave of the demand for organic farming. You know, uh, a big part of my career was sheer luck for being in the right place at the right time that, you know, I had accumulated enough knowledge in farming in those first 20 years when the demand for organics exploded. There was nobody really that knew how to, that was both organic and knew how to scale it. And I got to ride that wave. There's a whole other wave now, and that's the other way. And it's for, it's not for doing the type of stuff I did. It's, it's for producing locally and selling in local markets, the cost of shipping a truckload of produce, you know, there's a, you know, they switched to 56 foot trailers as 28 pallets. But if you take 28 pallets and ship it across the country, you know, it's a little over and say broccoli, 28 times 42, a little over, a little over 11, 1200 boxes. It's still the cost per box just to ship it across the country and the box itself. The cost of shipping and the box itself is going to exceed the vet, the price the farmer got for the broccoli in California. So to compete, to all of a sudden be able to grow broccoli in Virginia or North Carolina or Louisiana or Kentucky or Illinois is all of a sudden starts to make sense because you can say you, you can take that and put that back to your farm. And on top of that, you're going to get a premium. They're going to pay a X more for you than they were paying for getting this box that's, uh, that's three days old and that has no um, identity with a local farmer, you know, and, you know, and they're going to want it from you now because the supply chain and the supply chain worries. And so buyers are going to start looking for who can I support who can I work with locally? And I know this is going on in the in the meat and the you know the for small poultry poultry growers and uh, you know beef producers and pork and eggs and and vegetables. It it is the wind is at the back of anybody going into production right now, and that's a wonderful thing because it's kind of, if you can 
grow it, you know, your likelihood of being able to to sell it and and manage it and uh, get yourself a foothold and and solidify a business is really really good. So I think that understanding the historic and the the rarity of the opportunity that exists right now is is really really important. And you know, anything I could do to help and support, you know, um, people that are. Looking at that, I'm, I'm great to do it because America needs new farmers, and this is a this is a good good chance for them to get on board. Michael, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure and an honor too. I, I actually got to be there and ride part of one of your waves with with you and your career. So uh, I feel fortunate for that. And I, as always, I thank you for your leadership, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Michael. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.